All right. Good morning to you. We are so glad that you are here today. And, and like Brother Brent, I am glad to be home. And I think I did have air conditioning. Most of the time I did. And uh, I got to be home on Friday. So I've had a couple days to kind of get my brain. When he said he got home at 4 o'clock, I went, oh, my gosh. He talked about how there were accidents on the road. I said, who has wrecks in the middle of the night? You know, and we we're just glad that you guys made it back. And and I tell you what, listen to this now. Y'all gonna be? Are y'all ready to be jealous? I went first. I went to church on Saturday night. That doesn't happen too often. But we went to church on Saturday night to the Watoto Downtown facility, and our worship was led by the Watoto Children's Choir. Yeah, well, we had church. I'm just telling you, we had church. It was just awesome. And whenever you worship with about 2,500 African believers, you're gonna have church. They throw you out if you don't have church. So it was wonderful. And then we woke up Sunday morning before we headed north and went to another church. And there we had a worship team made up of the um, worship academy that they have. These are all uh, young adults now who have gone through the program, through the orphan program. And then were coming over young adults. And they did an incredible job. So we had church really good over there. And then I come home and guess what? We have church right here. I love Dorsville. I do. We're singing these songs. Brother David and that wonderful song about being redeemed. I'm pretty blessed. My cup is pretty full. Looking forward to hear um, tonight uh, about that trip. I'm going to do, I think, my report on the 18th of August. So, amen. Love you, Dorsville. Thank you so much uh, for letting me be your pastor. I mean that because I go away and I come back and realize just how much and how blessed I am. So, very, very grateful today. Well, listen, we're launching a new series today. Better finally get started here. Um, so we're launching a new series entitled Unlikely Heroes. This, it can have like, like five different taglines, you know, with that. One would be redeemed. One could be, you know, common people with uncommon faith. That was on, on the slide. There's so many taglines, but here's the deal. I realized yesterday as I was thinking about this and studying it, um, I really hope that the next five weeks for you, this is just pure encouragement. Pure encouragement. As we look at all these different folks and how God used them, I hope at the end of five weeks you just leave going, you know what, this has been an encouraging time uh, for me in the house of God. So often, so often, um, life is hard, you know. And that song says it so well. You know, we often feel so unworthy and, and you know, just, you know, why? And, and then all of a sudden here comes God and just boom. And that's when we become those unlikely heroes uh, that he makes us into. Well, you know, there's a thing that makes Christianity different. I'm not even sure where I read this. It may have been from Rick Warren. I'm not sure. But there's, a, you know, you could say works grace. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that's not works-based? Every other religion, you've got to do something good to make it to heaven. And, of course, you can't do that. You can't do that. But Christianity is the only one that's grace-based. That's not our works. It's what his work was on the cross. You know, so it's different in so many ways. But here, I think it was Rick Warren. It says, you know, what makes Christianity different? Now, this is, this is good. Jesus said, oh, I like that. I did too. That's why I put it in there. You know, what makes Christianity different is that it is a story where the hero dies to save the villain. And then, this is mine, and then the hero turns around and marries the villain. It's amazing. What makes Christianity different is that the hero dies not to defeat the villain, but to save the villain. And then the villain turns right around and married to the hero. Now, there's a great verse that, that talks about this. But before I jump on that verse, I want to tell you one thing. And this just came to me in Africa. 
I was sitting there as I was kind of reading the scriptures over, you know. And this is so, it's so minor, but it's so huge. You ever have things like that? So minor, so huge. You know, here's what happened. So as I was studying this, and I realized a couple of the scriptures I have in here are, are some of my, it's much more than favorites. I call them essential life verses. Now, I know we have life verses. You know, we have a verse where God speaks to us and we say, that's our life verse. But these are essential life verses. And what it is, it's, it's just verses that can be a, a real, like a life preserver to you when you're about to go under. And I want to challenge you today. And more than that, I just want to tell you, you need to do this. You know, you need to do this. I was sitting there in my, I'm sorry, I was sitting in my office this morning just kind of going over scriptures. And I've been a believer for 44 years. I can't believe that. Now, I know some of y'all have been saved for 795 years. I know that. I know. Wilma, Wilma Reed has been a Christian, you know, for, for nine decades. Okay? She's, been, she's, she's 90 years old, not been a Christian all those 90 years. You know, it's one of those people. But, but anyway, and so I was sitting there saying, 44 years I've walked, you know, with Jesus. And I'm not what I used to be, and God's not even done yet with all of that. But here's what I know. You ought to have... I put down, if you've got the app open, you see it. You don't have it on the screen. Um, but you ought to have, I put down 5 to 10. You ought to have 5 to 10 verses. I know it's great. I hear about people memorizing chapters. That's cool. That's great. You know. But you ought to have 5 or 10 verses that are your go-to verses. That when you are, it's like you're in the, in the ocean and you're about to go under. You need to have some verses that you know. Uh, they don't even have to be a particular version. But you need to know that you can call out to. You need this. Now, you need to write that down. If you didn't write it down, you need to write it down. And you need to do it. You need to do it. We are so flippant with the Word of God. It is, a, it is the power. The power that so often we need is found in the Word of God. So you need to do that. Pick five or ten, three. You pick the number. It doesn't matter. But you need to have some verses that are your go-to verses. Several of these today are my go-to verses, okay? That's what made me think of it. And then also, I'm going to throw this out. You probably need to have two or three translations that you go to. Two or three. I know, I know some people feel, well, there's only one, and then whatever it is, you know, whether it's King James or ESV, whatever it might be. But, but there's power in the various translations of the Word of God. Because what's important is that you be able to understand and see clearly the Word of God. So if you combine the fact that you've got some verses over here that you go to in difficult times, and, and they're kind of like your go-to, they're, they're your, your what you need when you're about to drown, about to go under, and then you throw in there and you get a translation that you really can clearly understand. Two or three. Um, you know me. If you've heard me preach long, you know, I've got the, uh, the CSB. I've got the ESV. Um, I've got NLT occasionally. You know, I've just got New King James. I've got that in there. You know, it really helps. So don't be afraid of different translations. Don't think you're less spiritual if you have, like, more than one translation. You're not. It will help you. You know, Paul said, I'd rather speak five words in the church that people understand than 10,000 words that they don't understand. So it's important that we have the Word of God in our hearts and that we also have it you know, in a translation we can understand. So that's some good advice from your pastor after walking 44 years this walk, okay? Uh, it's, just, it's just good, good advice. So with that said then, what is this verse? What is this verse that says, you know, the hero dies for the villain? Well, it's got to be Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. I like all of this, but my go-to is going to be verse number 8, okay? Just so you'll know. But look what it says there. Keep in mind... The villain, I'm sorry, the hero dies to save the villain. Okay? Here's what it says. For while we were still helpless, while we were still hopeless, 
while we were still in need of rescue, while we were defenseless, okay, then at the right time, here it is, at the right time, Christ the hero died for the ungodly, the villain, and us. At the right time, when we were still helpless, this hero of heroes, somebody say amen, this hero of heroes dies for the ungodly, dies for the villain. You say, well, I don't see myself as a villain before I met Jesus. You were an enemy of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you were an enemy of God before he reached down in his amazing grace and saved and touched your life. That's where you were. You were a villain of God. But he reaches down at just the right time and dies for us. The hero dies for the villain. And I like this. You know, for rarely, rarely does this happen. For rarely will someone die for a just person. We all know people who are, um, two words that come to my mind is fairness and integrity. We know people who are filled with integrity. We know people who always treat you fair. You know, we, a lot of, several of us in the church have a mechanic named Chris. And I tell you what, there's a couple things in life you want. You, you would like to have, well, Jesus, and you definitely like to have a spouse that loves you and, and you know, you loves your, you know, your family. Uh, but then you also want to know a good mechanic. Okay, you want someone you can trust and someone who will treat you fair. Well, Chris is that guy. Chris is that guy. I mean, I never, I never leave Chris and go, I think I'm going to get a second opinion. I know that he's going to say, Dwayne, this is broke on your car, and this is what it's going to take to fix it. And I can trust him. And that's very valuable. So, so I'm not saying I would die for Chris. I would like to think I would. Um, you know, a rare thing, people might do that. But he's a fair person. He's a just person. And Paul says, you know, we, we know this. We know this person is fair and just. But then he goes further. Then he says this. Though for a good person, Perhaps someone might even dare to die. A good person. It goes beyond the just, the fair person to a good person. And once again, Chris comes to mind. I'll go and get my oil changed and get the tires rotated or do this. And I'll say, hey, Chris, could you do this for me? And usually involves something like hook a wire up or something or, or do something like that. And I'll go to pay him and, and I'll say, how much, bud? And he goes, well, the oil change was this and that was that. I said, what about the other thing? Don't worry about it. That goes beyond just and fair. He deserves to be paid for it, but he says, don't worry about it. You know, when I was sick, when I was getting out of the Air Force, and I think looking back now, it was stress. I was jumping out of the Air Force um, after 12 years. People thought I was absolutely insane, and they probably were right. Um, you know, but I was jumping out of the Air Force after 12 years with no medical insurance, making $12,000 a year with two babies and a wife to care for. And that was a lot less than I was making in the Air Force, and I had health insurance. And to top it all off, three or four weeks before I went out of the service, I got asthma really bad, as in three weeks in the hospital. I mean, I was like, what is this? So I get out, and I go see a guy in Warrensburg, Missouri, and his name was Dr. Maxim. And so I tell him my story, you know, and he already said, well, son, I should remember it. Well, son, you're just going to have to learn to deal with this. And you know what I said? No, sir, I don't think so. I went and got me a new doctor. 
So, so we're reading this today, a paper. This is over in Missouri. We're reading this today, a paper. And there was a small ad in there about a young man who was a pulmonologist and who is opening a new office. And his name was Dr. Vanderroost. So I made an appointment to go see Dr. Vanderroost. He was a young man. I remember I walked into his office. He had metal folding chairs. I mean, he was brand new. He was brand new. So I told him my story. He said, well, Mr. Taylor or Dwayne, I said, I'll tell you this. We're going to fix you. I said, you do not have to live with it. He said, you do not have to live with this. We're going to find some answers. And so in about two months, three months, he gave me his, his home phone number and said, you call me when you get in trouble at night. I'll be available for you. Hey, knowing I didn't have health insurance. Now, this was 1984. I understand that. He, he would charge me $5 for an office visit. Yeah, hello. $5. And sometimes nothing. Sometimes he would just write it off. He was an incredible gift from God at that time. And guess what? Yeah. Yeah. I was healed. God and Dr. Vanderroos took care of that. Took care of that. He was such a good person. And, and so Paul comes along and says, you know, for a good person like that, perhaps you'd even dare to die. But here's the setup. Verse 8. But God proves. But God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still the villain, while we were still so unworthy, Christ died for us. Now, I don't want to bust your bubble, but I want you to know something. God had nothing to gain by sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. You know, sometimes we do something because we have something to gain. God had nothing to gain. There was no benefit... To God, Because the scripture tells us God doesn't need anything. So he had nothing to gain. He had no benefit by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. So why did he? Because he loves us. I mean, you are, you are, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. You are so valuable to God. Jesus died for you. You were so valuable to God that Jesus died for you. Valuable to God. He had no benefit. He had nothing to gain. He just simply loved you that much. And this is the right time. This is the right time to ask that question. What kind of God? What kind of God? I mean, don't we hear it all the time? Don't we always hear people who say, Well, what kind of God would allow this? Or what kind of God would allow that? They just ask the right question but the wrong time. The, the question to ask when that, that question pops up, what kind of God, is not when there are things we don't understand about happening in this world. I mean, we mess, can we just be honest? We mess the world up. The world God created was perfect. And this thing with Adam and Eve and rebellion and, and then it's just been passed on from generation to generation to generation. If you want to blame someone for a messed up world, don't point your finger at God. Point your finger at mankind. The time to ask the question, what kind of God, is when you think about this. What, what kind of God? What kind of God would send His Son Jesus to this earth for the sole purpose of being born of a virgin to die for the villain? What kind of man? What kind of God? Come on, come on now. Y'all getting it? It's powerful. That's when you say, what, what kind of God extends His grace and mercy 
to the best person you know and the worst person you know. Because whether you count yourself the best person you know or the worst person, you need a Savior. You need rescue. You need spiritual resurrection because you're dead in your trespasses and in your sins. What kind of God would do that? It's just incredible. You know, Hebrews eleven six says it this way. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The kind of God that does this, that sends grace, is the kind of God who can take common people and have them exercise uncommon faith. You know, y'all know I don't cook. Let's just don't pretend like I do, because I don't. I can, I can slice off them cookie things that are like, well, shoot, let's just be honest, okay? Who cooks, who really cooks the cookie dough that comes in the tubes? You eat it raw. Come on, everybody knows the raw dough is better than, than, than the baked cookie. But I can cook those. But here's the deal. If you have a recipe for chocolate chip cookies, okay, and you start adding all those ingredients, the eggs, now watch this, watch this, you're going to think I know what I'm talking about. That would be a miracle. Okay, you know, you got the butter, you got the sugar, you got a little pinch of salt, you got some flour that you put in there, eggs, eggs, you got to have eggs. She's cheating with me. Okay, eggs, okay, and you put all that together. Okay, now here's the deal. You may follow that recipe exactly, but if you don't have any chocolate chips, no matter what you cook, it is not going to be chocolate chip cookies. You cannot have a chocolate chip cookie without chocolate chips. Can I have an amen? Well, see, the author of Hebrews comes around now, okay, and says, this is the recipe for God making unlikely heroes. This is God's recipe for taking common men and making them these heroes in the Bible, just like me and just like you. And here's the recipe. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything we do, the way, including the entrance to the kingdom and the way we live day by day, is by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He goes on and says this, Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the recipe for God taking people and turning them to unlikely spiritual heroes is the way of faith. It's the way of faith. And when men are willing to exercise faith, and by the way, even the Bible says in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. A lot of people believe that even the faith to believe is not of ourselves, it's a gift from God. Not worse than the same man should boast. Okay? So even the faith to believe is, is a gift from God. Okay, so, so we have this, we have this going on. So, so you've got to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's all by faith. How do you become a, a member of the kingdom of God? How do you become a member of the family of God? You do it by believing God. Not by going to church, not by being getting dung, not by saying I go to church three times a week or I read my Bible or I give money. You get into the kingdom of God by faith. And that's the only way. Now, you, you know what? You, you're saying, someone in this room right now is saying, I've heard that before. Yeah, but did you really believe it? Do you really understand? You sure you don't wake up in the morning sometimes and say, God, aren't you blessed to have me? Aren't you glad that I'm in your family? God had nothing to gain by saving you. God, God had nothing to gain by saving Billy Graham. 
If God can talk through a donkey like He did with Brack in the Old Testament, God can use anybody. God can, and that's the story of the unlikely heroes. That God takes common people with uncommon faith and uses them in a great way. You know, there's a list, okay? There's a list of, of unlikely heroes that, again, I think Rick Warren came up with. I wish we had this on the screen, but we don't. I didn't ask David to put it up there. But let me read them to you real quick. And now listen, listen, I know reading's not a good idea when you're a public speaker, but just hang with me. Listen to this. A list of unlikely heroes. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah, that was one of Jacob's wives. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral, as in a prostitute. Um, David had an affair. Oops. And also basically murdered a man. Okay. Um, Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a bitter widow. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had been married several times, and they all had failed. Zacharias was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had a gruff side. And Timothy was timid. And that's a short list. I remember my daughter, uh, Rebecca, was teaching a Sunday school class, I think. And she said she was looking for good family examples. And if you look in the Bible, we're all so broken that it's hard to find you know, one that had it all together. And that's the beauty of it. Because God in His grace makes us new. I love this. I mean, you, you look at the Word of God and it's over and over again, these people that were broken and God redeemed them, like the song says, redeemed them and saves them and then uses them in great, amazing ways. Let's, come on, let's be honest. You wouldn't have chosen the 12 that Jesus chose. You know, the 11 that, that, that stayed with him were fishermen. and I mean, they were great leaders. And the most likely candidate of all to succeed was, was you know, Judas. And he ended up hanging himself and betraying Jesus. So it's just amazing what God can do. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these uncommon heroes. Okay? And I hope it will encourage you, if God can use them, God can use me. If God can use them, God can use me. And our candidate today is a guy named, now for simplicity's sake, his name was Abram, and God changed him to Abraham. We're going to use Abraham today unless it comes out of my mouth. Okay? Crooked. All right? So we're going to look at the life of Abraham, and our scripture is going to be Hebrews chapter 11. We could go back to Genesis 15, but we're going to go into Hebrews, the great look at faith, okay, the heroes, the unlikely heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, after saying that, we're going to look first at Genesis 15. Yeah, yeah, you know, you can do what you want. Okay, here's Genesis 15, 6. You know, Abram believed the Lord. Abram believed. Now, you've got to understand something. Abraham, Abram, was a pagan. He was a pagan. It wasn't like in the midst of, you know, it wasn't like in the midst of all the darkness, there's this man who was shining out with great light, and his name was Abraham. He was a stinking pagan. He was not, he was so unlikely. And God says, Abram, I'm calling you to do something. And he said, yes. He believed God. 
Now, I don't know what that song really should have spoken to your heart, but I don't know. You know, here Abraham was a pagan. What would you say about you? You know, Abram was a pagan, yet he believed God. What would your thing be? I was a liar, but I believed God. I was an adulteress, but I believed God. I was an addict, but I believed God. I was an alcoholic, but I believed God. I I was a cheater, but I believed God. I was a hater, but I... Are you getting the picture? What was your story be? It doesn't matter what your story was. It's what your... It's what your story can be because of God's amazing grace. I mean, here is Abraham, and he is a pagan, and God calls him, and he says yes, and he believes God. Here's what it says. Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, credited credited to him as righteousness. He declared Abram righteous because he believed. Now, you need to get a hold of that. Don't you let it slip by you. If you're sitting here and you, you know, you're a child of God, that's your story. Matter of fact, we could do this. Brent believed God and he credited him as righteous. Judy believed God and he counted to her as righteous. Terry believed God. It's your story. Put your name. Read that scripture. If you've got your Bibles open, it's on the screen. Put your name there because that is your story. And if you're a child of God today, you are a child of God because you believe God. That's why. That's why. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. Now James put it this way in James 2.23. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God. Now, boy, I wish we said over again. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. What was the benefit? What was the outcome? What was the end result? God counted him as righteous. Not because of what he did, but the fact that he believed God. Abraham believed God, and God counted, God declared him as righteous. Now, Paul's there. Look what it says. It doesn't say kind of righteous. It doesn't say sort of righteous. It doesn't even say ivory righteous. Ivory righteous? Oh, yeah. The dude, Proctor and Gamble, his last name was Proctor, 1879-ish. He decides he wants to make a soap that would be gentle enough for the whole family to use. And he created the Ivory Bar, Ivory Bar Soap. You remember the slogan? 99.44% pure. Still use it today. Still true today. When God declared you righteous, it wasn't 99 max. It wasn't 99.44% pure. You, you are pure all the way through. And will you believe that today? Will you quit believing the lies people tell about you? Will you quit believing the lies that Satan tells about you? Will you quit believing the lies you tell about you? And understand, you're not 90%, you're not 80%, you're not 99.44%. You are 100% pure by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it go. Listen, quit fighting a fight that's already been won. (laughs) You are redeemed. The song says it. The Word of God says it. It's time we believe it. 
It's time we believe it. There's a world out there that so desperately needs this truth. But we have got to believe this truth before we can share that truth. We've got to believe that truth before we can share that truth. So James says, it happened just as the scriptures say. Jesus, or Abraham believed God and God counted to him as righteous. Because of his faith, he even called him the son, the friend of God. You're a friend of God. I'm going to tell you something you know and something you may not know. You know God loves you. Yeah, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Preachers get up and scream and holler every week, and you kind of bought into it, you know, that God loves you. Here's what you may not know God likes you. God likes you. God can't wait for you to get home. Not, not one true saint of God is going to get to the gate and hear, oh no, we've got to let him in. God likes you. He cannot wait for you to spend eternity with him. Believe that. Believe that. It's true. He was even called the friend of God. So Abraham believed God, period. He just simply believed God, and God counted for him as righteous. The same thing happens to you. If you are on your way to heaven today, if you are a Christ follower, you're on your way to heaven because you believe God and God counted for you as righteousness, as right. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. So then, Abram also believed God for the unknown. And this is where it gets a little hairy. Okay? Now, Brent and I don't have that problem because we're not... <laughs> thank you for laughing at that. No one else did, but thank you for laughing at that. But, but it's, this is where it gets a little bit hairy. Abram trusted God for the unknown. Now watch this. This is really incredible. This is Hebrews 11 and verse number 8. It was by faith. This is the faith chapter, so expect that. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that, would God, that God would give him as an inheritance. I'll read it again because I kind of stumbled. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. See, Abraham was called to leave one inheritance for another, just like you. Today, today you heard God's call and you responded. It was a call to leave home and go to another home. It's a beautiful picture of your marriage. In, in the book of Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother, leave home, and cleave unto his wife, make a new home. It's a beautiful picture of that. Okay? So God says to Abram, I want you to go somewhere. I want you to leave this home and go to another place. Now, here's, here's the deal. Get ready. He went without knowing where he was going. See, some of you are all hung up. You got your T-shirt all in a while, a bind. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Faith does not demand that you have all the answers. In fact, now get ready. You may not have any answers. Hey, Chris. Hi, bud. Don't you love when the preacher calls your name from the pulpit? Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? When God called you and Kim and Sunny to Spain, did you have all the answers? Hmm. He's shaking his head no. Well, well, Chris, surely now you're on the, on the preface of going to Spain. Surely you have all the answers now. <gasps> He's saying no again. 
Why do we think that when we trust Christ that we have to have all the answers? Faith doesn't demand it. Faith simply calls us to trust. This family is trusting God. And he calls every one of us to trust him in the same way. He went without knowing where he was going. And when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are trusting without knowing. I debate whether to use this, but I want you to know this. You know, next year will be our 20th anniversary with you guys. Um, 20 years. It's incredible. And the truth is, I'm going to be 66 years old. So Gene and I have been talking a whole lot about what's next. What's next? Well, I may have shared it with you. Trying to decide what's next. What do we do? And you know what? God spoke to me in Africa of all places. I mean clearly. He said, the reason you don't know what's next is because I'm not done with now. When, when I'm done with now, he'll give me a next. See, so, so here it is. So you just, you just, listen, if God tells you to go, you go. And I'm not telling you, again, physically as much as spiritually speaking. You just keep doing what God told you to do. And when he changes his mind, he'll let you know. Just keep going. And he called Abram to go without knowing where he was going. You won't have all the answers. If you're going to wait till time with all the answers, you're going to be waiting a very long time. So Abram simply went. Now, how do you do that, preacher, pastor? How do you do that? Okay. Well, this is a couple more of those life verses. And by the way, I highly recommend them to you. These are verses that were great life preservers when life is difficult. The first one, I've, I've, both these I've shared dozens of times with you. The first is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Dwayne, Dwayne, how do you go where you don't know where you're going? Oh, the answer is you trust in the Lord. Well, how much? With all your heart. So, so you trust God with all your heart, all your emotions, all your passions. Okay? And then it says you don't lean into your own understanding. So you trust God with all your heart, and you trust God and not you. See, that's the holdup, isn't it? Isn't that the holdup? See, we done figured out that we can handle it. That somehow we can do it. That, that you know, what we'll do is, we'll depend, we'll depend on us, and we'll go as far as we can go until we can't figure it out, and then we'll go to God. No, 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 no. no. See, the Scriptures, and not only here, the Scriptures make it clear. We don't trust us. We trust God. See, hey, husband, your marriage would be a whole lot better if you quit trusting in you and trust God. Ma'am, your marriage would be a lot better if you would quit trusting in you and trust in God. You'd be a better parent if you quit trusting in you and trust in God. We'll be better pastors if we don't lean on us and we lean on God. Would you agree with that, Brent David, wherever you are? Would you, would you agree with that? See, so, so we've got to trust the Lord with all our heart. Don't lean in on understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, uh, know Him, and He will make your path straight. Now, here's the deal. His path is always better than your path. His path is always better than your path. I don't know what my life would have been like if I had said no to the Air Force or yes to the Air Force and stayed, you know, well, maybe I could have, maybe I could have just started being a pastor eight years later. I don't know that. All I know is this. The path that God led me down has been so incredible, I can't describe it to you. My God has been so faithful through these years, these 37 years as a pastor. He's been so, and he's much more faithful than the Air Force would have been. 
He's much more faithful than Farmer State Bank would have been. He's much more faithful than American Coal. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Peabody Coal, the prison system, the college and universities. No, he's much more faithful. And I said this, and it was as far as I know, it's mine. But I said this a while back, about four months, and it came back to my mind. I'll read it so I'll get it right. God's better is always better than your better. God's better is always better than your better. My better and your better. Trust in the Lord. And this next verse, this, this again, how do you do this, Dwayne? Here. The steps of a good man. And somebody says, all right, counts me out. <laughs> my wife will tell you I'm not very good. My husband will tell you I'm not very good. My boss will tell you I'm not very good. There's lots of I'm not very goods in the world. But I, I wanted to so impress you, I learned French for this. So if you're sitting there today saying, counts me out, God would say, au contraire. I had to ask you what that meant. Au contraire. On the contrary. Just the opposite, God would say. Woo, come on, shoot that thing. Shoot it, shoot it. Here we are. The steps of a good man. I'm not good. God says, if you're redeemed, you are. God says, if I declared you, if God says, if I declared you righteous, you are. Uh, but what if I mess up? Well, you're going to talk about this next verse. But God redeems and God rescues and God declares righteous. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Declared by the Lord. Ordained by the Lord. Now you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that. He goes on and says this. Though he fall, though you fall, you shall not be utterly cast. You see why I like this verse? Because, you know, I don't know about you, but I stumble and fall. I stumble and fall. You stumble and fall? Anybody here not ever stumble and fall? Y'all got down perfect? We'll have altar call in just a minute. Even though you fall, now watch, you will not be utterly cast down. That's good news. Next time you stumble into a big old sin and fall flat on your face, you need, that's why you need these verses. You say, oh, I remember now the Word of God says that if I fall flat on my face, He doesn't throw me away like some kind of trash. You know, those people in the airlines, they give you all this food. And, well, they're kind of like food. They give you all this food, and then they come on the back. And you put your trash in the back. God will never toss you in the garbage dump. Never. Once you trust Jesus, there's nothing you can do to break that relationship. Somebody say, man, that's good news. That's good news. He says, though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him, ooh, upholds him with his hand. And that means two things. It literally does. One, on your way down, he'll grab your hand. You know, you've had a five-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, and they're walking on the sidewalk and hanging their toe on that little crease in the sidewalk, and they're going down, but you've got their hand. You hold them up. And sometimes they don't have your hand, and they stumble and fall, and they scratch their knees up, and what you do, you reach down, and you pick them up and love them. That's what God does. Sometimes we get rescued on the way down, and sometimes we stumble and fall. But he picks us up. Isn't that good news? I mean, this is... This is so good. This ought to be encouraging to you today. So, so how do you? 
How can you believe God without knowing? You trust Him. You trust Him. And you believe that He's going to dictate your path. You know, Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says this. And even, I like this, and even when Abraham reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. So, how do we get saved? By grace, through faith. How do we live? By grace, through faith. So you don't quit the faith walk when you get saved. Hey, thanks God, I'm done with the faith now. I believe Jesus died for me, we're done, thank you now. No, 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 no. You're saved by grace and faith, and you live by grace and faith. You needed a Savior some date in history. Mine was October 26, 1975. I needed a Savior on October 26, 1975. But guess what? I need a Savior right now, right here, as I share with you. And so do you. You need Jesus every day. You know, I, I can tell you part of your future. This coming Tuesday, you're going to need a Savior. Come on now. Friday, you're going to need a Savior. Hey, next Sunday, you're going to need a Savior. And God provides that. When he got to the land, he still lived by faith. And, and so did, it wasn't just Abraham. It was Isaac and Jacob who, Jacob who had the same promise. Who had the same promise. And Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. A city designed, designed and built by God. How beautiful and how powerful. Let's, I've got about three or four minutes. I'm not supposed to say that. I keep praying I'm not supposed to say that. Okay? But, but he believed God for eternity. We're going to skip part of the middle there. He believed God for eternity. Now, look at Hebrews 11, 13. 11, 13. All these people, talking about the ones in Hebrews chapter 11, all these people died still believing what God had promised. Have you determined, let me ask you a question, have you determined in your heart your break point? What would it take for you to stop believing in God? Oh, good answer. Mary said nothing. But I'll tell you what, Sitting here in church, that's easy to say, but what about it when your four-year-old child is hit by a car and their life is hanging in the balance? What about it when the doctor, you go to the doctor and he says cancer. You know, Jim Lindsay's up in St. Louis today and he's having his scan tomorrow. And there's, a, there's like a 97% chance he's good. But the doctor said this. If we find... One cancer cell. One. You're going to have to go through a full-blown bone marrow transplant. It's hard. That's not fun. That's hard. And all of these believe God, even though they had not received the promise. Would you nail it down today? Would you nail it down today that God, no matter what, I'm going to believe. No matter what, I'm going to believe. They did not receive the promise. They saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. Crucial point. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Huge in believing God is understanding this is not your home. You're just passing through. They agreed. It's like they had a meeting. (laughs) They had staff meetings. And they all got together and agreed. And it's like this. And they agreed, you know what? We're foreigners and nomads. 
This is not our home. Brothers and sisters, this is not your home. Just wait for heaven. Heaven's not just for old people. Heaven's a reality of the Word of God, and it's so good you can't imagine. Just wait for heaven. You're just a nomad here. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking, uh, transition, the segue is, what does that look like? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of God. How did Jesus endure this? Not only the physical agony, agony, but also the fact that he became sin, the fact that his father turned his back on him. How did, how did Jesus endure that? Who for the joy that was set before him. This is a cool fact. An eagle weighs about 9.7 pounds. And its eyeballs are about the same size as yours. So imagine that little tiny head and eyeballs as big as you got. Okay? Their vision is about seven times better than ours. If there was a rabbit sitting, now get in your mind, if there was a rabbit, we're here, and if there was a rabbit almost 1.92 miles away, so let's just say two miles. If there was a rabbit two miles away, that eagle could spot it. Isn't that incredible? Some of the best eyesight on the planet. Jesus had eagle vision. He he could see. He could see heaven as he beat his back. He could see heaven when they stuck the crown of thorns on his head. As they drove the nails through his hands and his feet, he could see heaven. When he became sin and the Father turned his back on him and and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He could see heaven. When he yielded his life and breathed his life, last breath, and cried out, It is finished. He could see heaven. And when he resurrected on the third day, He could see heaven. My dear brothers and sisters, learn to look like an eagle. See beyond this stuff. See beyond this stuff. See beyond the pain and the suffering. Dwayne, are you saying it doesn't hurt? No, it hurts. Ask Jesus about the cross. But he could see heaven. He looked beyond this for the joy That was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. But ultimately he sat down. You know there's a slide that I have in the app. That I have to quote here for you. Don't give up because of one bad chapter in your life. Keep going. Your story doesn't end here. Don't don't dictate who you are. Don't allow Satan to fill your head with who you are. Because of one failure. And one bad chapter. You remember what God says about you. And God says, you're redeemed. God says, you may be an unlikely candidate, but not in my eyes. Because I can take the dead and bring them back to the life. I can take the failures and make them a success. 
I can take the nobodies and make them somebodies. I can take darkness and turn it into light. I can take the saint and turn him into a sinner. And that is just amazing. So if you're here today, and perhaps you've never heard it this way before, and God is speaking right now to your heart and saying, I want to take as unlikely as you are, I'm calling you to go a place where you may not know. I'm calling you from your, your villainous to sainthood. And all you have to do is trust my son, Jesus. At the end of every service, we have a time of decision. And the biggest decision of all is when God speaks to someone and says, I'm calling you to be my child. And you believe and respond. You turn from your sin and you choose to follow Jesus. And Brother Brent will be standing down front and will be glad to share with that. we got people to pray with you and for you about that decision. If you're here today and you're already a Christ follower, be encouraged. This whole, you're going to hear that over and over again in the next five weeks. Be encouraged. Because I'm telling you, when we understand how unlikely we were and what God did for us, we're going to be an aggressive, aggressive kingdom warriors. So often I think we're, we're not aggressive enough with the kingdom because we're not sure we really believe. How, how could God call me that and do that for me? He did and he does. He did and he does. So if there's something we want to pray about today, the altar is going to be open. As you can tell, we'll be having Lord's Supper at the end of the service. But anything we can do, if you want to join our fellowship, if you feel like God's calling you to, to be a part of his family, you want to recommit your life, whatever it might be, we'll have Brent here and our team will be here. And we want to pray with you any way we can. Okay, so let's pray together. Okay, God, this was a real, real privilege today to share these truths. I think they're so personal, God, um, because I know... I've often wrestled with some of this stuff about insecurity and, and Father, not accepting myself, so how could you accept me? God, I'm so grateful for your grace. I'm so grateful that you uh, have chosen us and as you call us and we respond and believe you, um, then we can have forgiveness of sins and be declared righteous. So as you see fit today, would you please move? Let, let people feel the pull of you through the Holy Spirit calling them, calling them to move, to go, to trust you. So, Father, we're trusting you for this moment in time. And, Jesus, I pray it in your precious name.